Well, it's good to see some old new friends or new old friends. I don't know, but we're old new friends. That sounds better, I think. Uh, it's great to be here. It's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, you've seen me more than I've seen you, I think, with all the little videos and, uh, and so grateful for Pastor Bill for that brilliant idea to keep us connected. Do you feel connected a little bit? Yeah. Wonderful. I'm Pastor Michelle Mercer, uh, born and raised in Barrie, Ontario. I've been around Ontario in different places. I've done most of my ministry in Western Ontario District, but happy to be a part of your district now. Woo! I, as was mentioned, I'm here with my husband, Dwayne, who we've been married. This, this week, we celebrate it uh, by, the, by Niagara Falls, up in the overlooking Niagara Falls, we celebrate our 22nd anniversary. I'm the one who gets it wrong all the time. <laughs> I drove from here, Peterborough, to make it home in time for an 8.30 reservation at the falls. <laughs> on Thursday evening. And our daughter, Michaela's here. Michaela's going into grade eight. She's our wonderful joy and, uh, and blessing to us. We're so glad she came along for the journey today. Uh, Hope is not here right now because, yes, she is trying to save for school, so she's taking every shift possible, and they've been few and far between. So pray for Hope. She gets her hours as she prepares to go to Humber College in the fall. So she's very busy, but uh, sorry she couldn't be here today. Uh, you've been tracking with us, and so here's a couple of updates because it's nice to give some updates. We sold our house this week as well. Woohoo! Yay! Yay, God! Uh, we sold our house, and we are looking for a new house, and we're we'll busy this afternoon um, looking, doing that exact thing. And uh, we also are celebrating that they just announced this week that Duane will be the new manager of Nesbitt Funeral Home here in Peterborough. <laughs> You know, there's something about God's timing in things, because we were really cautious. You know, we were being cautious about what to tell people, and Dwayne didn't want to let his work know too soon, but they're a big organization. They own multiple funeral homes, and, uh, and so we waited till we felt led to, to be able to tell them, and when he mentioned it to them, they said, we actually have just made a little shuffle, and we're about to post this posting in Peterborough. And so God is in the details, Amen. I mean, that should build faith in us right there, that if whatever you're going through, whatever uh, details that you're trying to work out in your own life, know that God is a God who provides, and he will be faithful, and so just trust him. Trust him. You know, I thought today uh, I would open with an illustration about our oldest daughter since she's not here. <laughs> so mean, isn't it? Don't tell her, Michaela. No, uh, when our daughter Hope was born, she was born September, and um, so her first, like, real, I don't know, summer experience was the next summer when she was turning one, and um, I remember going outside being so excited with all their cute little outfits, you know, how you have the little bare feet and the sundresses and all that, took her outside, we're in our backyard, and I went to put her down onto the grass because it just seemed natural, and when her little tender toes touched that grass, she messed up her face, screwed it all up, and then pulled her, curled up her feet and her legs way up higher than she should have been able to, <laughs> back up into my arms. And we would try to put her back down again into the grass. She'd pull them back up again, and we'd put her back down. And she, would, she just didn't, she didn't wear bare feet outside for that entire summer. The next summer, she finally started to get used to it, but even sandals were, were, were a stretch because the grass would tickle her toes through the, the grass. And, and guess what? She got over it. <laughs> 
new seasons uh, bring a lot of change. They put us in circumstances that make us sometimes uncomfortable. <laughs> it makes us unsure, new experiences. Uh, we've been in ministry for 23 years. Is that incredible? Married 22, ministry 23. Uh, Every year we've experienced four seasons of the calendar, so I think if my math's right, that's like 92 physical seasons that we've been through. Uh, there's a new season that happens in ministry, and it's not always a calendar one. It's kind of like this wonderful cosmo season that we don't define, but God does, and we step into it. And what an honor to step into this season with you at Calvary, this season of the church. And there's a sense of significance in this next chapter in Calvary's story. It's not because I'm here. It's not because the Mercers are moving to Peterborough. It, it has very little to do with us. But it's because God is writing a story. And you and I, we're all part of it. And my encouragement to us and through this new series that we're starting this summer um, is that we would embrace the significance of what God is doing right now. Amen? Right now, right in this season. And so we titled the, the message, It's Significant. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 2. If you want to turn your Bibles, you can do that with me, or you can look up the screen. Some of it will be up there as well. You know, it was interesting because we had, we, early, I got here Tuesday, Wednesday, you're like, are you able to preach your sermon online? It's like, what? We're already in that, like, you're right in the midst of a flow of happening in church, right? So we did our recording, and we're changing some things up. It's why I'm wearing double mics here, and we're, we're trying a couple little things, experimenting over the summer. But um, I had already decided on the topic in the series, and so we did an introduction this week to the series online. And then after that's all done and the staff got involved, I encourage you to check it out online after today or today sometime. But um, we were doing all of these things. And then I thought, I'm just going to look at some of the formatting from of old, like of the things that have been done here before. And I happened to come across in, on YouTube the very, only the very last set of series that Pastor Paul Malott had taught. And I realized with shock and horror that he had spoken on Moses, which is what my message was starting on today. <laughs> and then I thought, perhaps it's significant. <laughs> Perhaps God is pulling a thread through that he wants to continue because, again, it's not about the person in the pulpit. It's not about the leadership at the helm. It's about God working in the body of Christ in this season because he's writing a bigger story. And so I'm, too, I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 2. And he was talking about monumental moments. But we're going to talk about over the next few weeks... Uh, we're going to talk about the significance, embracing the significance. The significance of who God is. The significance of the body of Christ, the family of God. And the significance of you and your calling by God. You as an individual. And there's this bit of a crisis in our society that we're really trying hard to define ourselves as humanity. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to live among incredible world of diversity, but an ever, uh, ever questioning this idea of absolute truth in the world? History shows us more than ever that there is a hunger to know who we are, 
why we've been placed on this earth and let alone how to survive this season on earth together. People are asking, who am I? What does it matter? What does the church matter? What does it really matter even to, to believe in God? And I believe that when we understand who we are, we understand who we are when we have a good grasp about who God is. And we can understand who God is by looking at what God has done. So that's why we're going to Exodus today. When we embrace our significance and who God has called us to be, we can actually be part of the greater solution in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities. But it starts with embracing the significance of who God is. So let's go to the text, Exodus chapter 2. Now, let me give you a little bit of the background here. Um, we're, we're, we know the story of Moses. And if you don't, that's okay. You can look it up in the Bible. It's like Genesis, the second book is Exodus, and that's where the book, it starts and explains us the story of Moses. And so Moses was born uh, during a time when the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. They've been enslaved, and there's all this really good story that happens in, about the story of Joseph, and you know, may know that, and if not, you can research it. But we're in this part of the story where now Moses... He was about to be killed because there was too many slaves in Egypt, and so they were going to kill all the newborn babies, and so when they, especially the boys, and when they killed, they went around killing the, the baby boys, excuse me, Moses' mother said, not my son. And so she comes up with this plan to take the baby, put him in a basket, and, and sends, it, uh, sends him with his sister Miriam, and they go down to the Nile, and the baby is now hidden in the reeds. And Pharaoh's daughter comes down, and she actually rescues the baby. She decides to adopt the baby boy and take him to be a part of the palace. And so then he becomes part of the royal family, basically, in Egypt, although he, he is an Israelite. And so this is the time that uh, now Moses has grown up, and he's realizing, hey, I actually am not an Egyptian. Shocker. And he starts to be moved in his heart. God must have been doing something significant. And he sees that there's this turmoil, that, turmoil that's happening, that the people are being enslaved and they're being treated poorly and he gets upset when an Egyptian is mistreating one of his brothers basically another Hebrew and so he goes and he suddenly uh, gets angry and he kills the Egyptian and hides it and after he does this, uh, he thinks no one sees it, but then he's still, he's still watching. The Bible says he's watching the people. What is he thinking? What is, what is he contemplating as he's seeing fellow Hebrews who are, he's in the palace, they're being enslaved, he's being treated like royalty, they're being treated like trash. And he gets upset. And so suddenly he sees uh, two Hebrew, uh, two Israelites, Met two Israelite men, and they're fighting and arguing. And he thinks, how can you fight with each other? Like, stand together as a community. And so he says to them, don't, don't fight. Why? Are, he's your brother. And they say, what, are you going to kill us too? And suddenly Moses realizes that he is in a difficult situation because his sin, what he has done, the fact he killed another man, an Egyptian man, is now 
come to find him. And so he runs for his life. It says Pharaoh was after him. And, and so now he has run off and he's now, uh, he's come across this group of shepherds and, and uh, he's been married, he got married and there's all these neat little stories and how God all works it together. And he's now in a family and he's been out in the desert, not in Egypt, out in the desert for years. And here we go in verse 23 of chapter 2. It says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. When we are wondering what's so significant about God and we need to understand who God is, when we go to the text, when we, when we discuss what God has done, not only in our own lives, but throughout Scripture, the first thing I want us to remember what's significant about God is that God is compassionate. God is compassionate. The Bible says God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant, his promise with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, all the forefathers that went ahead of them. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about him. You know, when who God is intercepts where our lives are lacking, what I love about God and his compassion is that new hope is birthed. No matter what you're going through as an individual or as a family, as a household, know this, that when God intercepts, that word intercepts, it means to like interrupt, get in the way. When God gets in the way in our lives, there's a new hope that is birthed. And I love the way that it's written in this text that we, we, we go from this moment of talking about the groaning of the people of God, the, the slavery, the 400 years, I, I can't even imagine. And they go through this difficult time, and the, the enemy was looking to diminish, but what, God, what the enemy was looking to diminish, God's plan was for them to increase. Do you know that during that 400 years of slavery, that the Egyptian women were much more fertile than any of the or the Israelite women were much more fertile than any of the Egyptians. Interesting, eh? It must have really made people upset. <laughs> they were trying to suppress them, and God was trying to increase them. And that's the compassion of God. It's a God who sees, even in the midst of our struggles, and he intercepts, he comes in, and he says, I will make you fruitful even during the despair. Even during the struggle, even during the times when you're not sure how the end of the story is going to work out, God comes in, he interrupts, and he brings fruitfulness in every season. Somebody say amen. amen. We see evidence of the compassionate character of God here in the story. And it's even before God would speak the words to Moses about his covenant promise with him. Later on, you know when he's making the Ten Commandments for the second time? Uh, God would speak these words. I have them on the screen here. Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 to 7 says this. Then the Lord came down in the clouds and stood there with him, Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord. 
the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. This is the God that Moses would serve. This is the God that you and I serve. When someone's asking what's so significant about the God you serve, you say God is compassionate. Actually, let me tell you what God says about himself. He's not angry, actually. He's a really good God. He, he's forgiving. He's loving. He's gracious. And he's abounding in love and faithfulness. You see, during this season in the life of the Israelites, there was the, the enemy was trying to rob from them. But I know from what the New Testament says in John 10.10 that the character of God says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus said, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. When the people of God were in desperate need, God in his compassion, he, he sent them a shepherd. Interesting imagery, isn't it? He sent them a shepherd. You see, I love the fact that chapter 2 segues from, so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them, into chapter 3 where it says, now Moses was tending the flock. Isn't that a, a beautiful picture? They need a deliverer and he finds a shepherd. They need freedom and he finds someone who's in the fields. In chapter 3, it says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. You see, Exodus 2 takes us from the acknowledgement of God, seeing where the people are at in their struggle and journey, and it points us to the answer to the problem. And this is where we're reminded that he's a compassionate God because when the people need freedom, when the people need deliverance, he sends a shepherd. It's not by mistake that John pens the words talking about the good shepherd right after he talks about the thief coming to steal and kill and destroy. When Jesus says, I have come that they may have life into the fullness, verse 11 says this, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. I want to encourage you today that not only do we have a, a very compassionate God and it's significant, we also have a very personal God. He's very personable. Not just personable, but personal. You see, when we see this shepherd who is being taught and learning well out in the fields what it means to tend the sheep, to work with the, the smallest sheep, and to keep out the enemies to the sheep, he's preparing this archetype, archetype, who the people of God would be able to look back on when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And my sheep know my voice. God is very personal. He's working out the personal details in your life and in mine and in the people of God here. And he's showing his character and he says that 
the, that Moses came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, I would just say that again because it really stands out to me. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Some of you may not know this, but I spent the first, uh, the greater part of my ministry, the first part of my ministry uh, after Bible college as a children's pastor and then a family ministries pastor and then I was a lead pastor for seven years in Niagara on the Lake where we're, we're still living until this afternoon when we find a house and it's all going to come together perfectly, right? Yeah. And so we, uh, first half of my ministry was with children and you learn a lot when you're working with kids. <laughs> In fact, I've said more than once to Jesse this week, Pastor Jesse, I'm praying for you. You've got this. It's going to be a good week. Do you need anything? <laughs> right? Because every children's pastor needs something the week before BBS. If you want to help still, if you want to be a part of, if you want to do something, please pray. <laughs> but also, you can serve in so many ways. And particularly after church today, I think we're moving chairs. So that's a really good thing to keep in mind. Don't rush up. But kids' ministry reminds us that children are, are the most curious, don't you find? <laughs> they seem, see something strange or interesting and unique, and they, they head right for it. Whether it's in the grocery store lineup when you're trying to get through, and they go, oh, mom, and they go over this way. Or when uh, you're in the middle of a day camp lesson, and they're suddenly like, wait, teacher, teacher, I see something out the window. Or how about this, and even my kids still do this now, uh, my teenagers are like, Mom, stop the car, we got to go there. <laughs> and Moses, he shows this curious nature. Maybe it's kind of like that little bit of faith, that childlike faith that Jesus talks about, but he sees, he sees this burning bush that is not being consumed. There's no smoke, it's not like going up in flames. And he goes to take a, a, a deeper look. And it's when he chooses not to turn away, but to move towards that which is the unknown. It's when God saw it in a very personal way, called Moses from within the bush. He called Moses by name. Moses is one who, me, Pharaoh's daughter named Moses, saying one who's drawn out of the water because it was where he was taken from. It was, like, it was to name the moment, to set this time. And, and God calls him, hey, you guy, shepherd? No, he says, Moses, the one who was out of the water, the one I, I saw in the water, the one I spared in the water, the one that I spoke to uh, your sister Miriam and said, you should tell the Pharaoh that your mom could nurse the baby. And Miriam says, hey, do you want me to find you a nurse for the, for the baby? And Moses gets to grow up in an in, in Israelite, a Hebrew home, understanding the nature of the, the one true God. But then when he's old enough, he goes off and he grows and he, and he is 
taught lessons in leadership and understanding of wor- the world and in and, and the use of power and how the office works of, of the Pharaoh and he's learning all these things and then he's sent into the shepherd, sent to be a shepherd. All of those pieces of his life, when God calls Moses by name, he's speaking to who Moses was, who he is, and who he's about to become. And that's how personal God is with you, with myself, and with us as a body of Christ. You have a name. He's chosen you. James 4, 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's the kind of God we serve. One step towards him, he comes all the way towards you and reveals who he is in that strange moment that you may feel you're in right now. Because he's a personal and a loving God. My question for us to think about today is this. What strange Avenger moment has God used lately to get your attention? What moment has happened? Something in your life, some kind of transition that's happening, some kind of uh, change of plans or routine. What is it that God is using that you would like to uh, perhaps look the other way and ignore the reality of that in front of you? When God is asking you to be curious and ask him what he is doing, what he's saying from within that significant moment. You know, uh, some people have asked, and, and uh, I haven't shared a lot about how God unpacked us choosing to come to Calvary. But again, we're in Western Ontario District, and so no hard feelings at all that you're in Eastern Ontario. <laughs> Right? That's what we're here to prove. I mean, no. <laughs> so when we were, we were looking and feeling like God was moving us on from our, our spot at, at uh, Gateway Church in Niagara-on-the-Lake, we, we did feel like there was a transition happening and God was doing something and we needed to be open to it. We were open, but only within our district because we were credential holders and it just, our mind was, we were like, well, this is our home. This is where we've always been. And... Uh, and I heard and I knew of the fact that Calvary had opened up and that there was a timeline for putting in resumes. And, and so because we had been looking at different options and things of that nature, um, I had seen it. And I knew there was a deadline, but I was already had, in some ways, don't, don't hate me, dismissed the idea because it was just, it was out of our, out of our perspective. Like it wasn't what we were thinking in the sense of being in our own district. And then this thing happened, which is that these Quaker Oats commercials <laughs> just kept coming on the television. I'm telling you, I'm not crazy. They just kept coming. I haven't even seen them in weeks. Like, I haven't seen them since the, the decision was made. I haven't, they're just, they just kept coming on a TV in, that's in our kitchen, and I would see Quaker Oats. You can put up the oatmeal-like picture there. Yeah. Right? So I'd be in the kitchen, and there'd be Quaker Oats in the home of Peterborough, and, and I would say, nah, that's too easy. <laughs> right? That's just me overthinking, over-imagining. Uh, and then they'd come on, like, back to back, and they just kept coming on, and I was like, okay, God. 
you, you show me. If that, if that is an option that's in your plans, you show me. And so the date passed. And I was doing something in the office at our church that was a part of a strategy that was kind of one of our, if this works, then that's God's plan and we're here for a while. And as I was about to send, send put send, superintendent of the Eastern Ontario <laughs> District, uh, EOND comes up on my cell phone and I was like, what? I click send. I'm like, I got to finish this. <laughs> Then I listened to his voicemail, and that began this process of trusting God and hearing from God and feeling God just warming our hearts to coming here to be a, kind of a full circle moment since we went to school here, but, but knowing that God had opened a door that no one was going to shut. Ah, feels good. Feels good. Psalm 37, 23 says, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. There's a freedom that comes from serving a God who is personal. He's personal. Who allows us to stumble because we do. We say, no, God, eh, maybe not. I don't know. Misread it. <laughs> But he won't let us fall. I mean, what if a parent, I heard this on, on the radio even a month ago, and I was like, oh, that's so good. And, and it was just a little devotional, and they said, what if a parent, when teaching a child to walk, never let them stumble? I mean, as a parent, we make sure they don't fall because we don't want them to get hurt. But to stumble, to stumble is part of the process of growing, isn't it? And that's the interruptions that come into our ways. They might look like they're obstacles, transitions that happen. They might seem like there's something to overcome or get around. But there are times they're actually burning bushes that seem like an obstacle, but they're meant to show us something really personal about God's plan for our lives and his purposes and who he is. May I encourage you today, choose to go towards and not around those God-sent interruptions because it's personal. God's plan for Calvary, it's also personal for you. I'm so glad this church isn't too big that we can't look one another in the eye and say, you know, this is personal. This is, you're part of the family. God has a plan for you. We're glad you're a part of this church. You're going to be part of the church for the next season because God obviously planted you here during this season so that you could help it to move forward. And here's the thing. He chose us. We didn't really choose him. <laughs> and I love what John 15, 16 says. I no longer call you servants, Jesus says, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Do you know what? You know the master's business. He lets you in on the secrets, <laughs> the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And instead, he says, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father. I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? So that you may go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. 
And I just love the fact that God was so faithful to call out to Moses to reveal who he was. You know, it was like the, in, the pre-incarnate Christ was in that burning bush. It's powerful. And God called Moses by his name, not once, but twice because he meant business. <laughs> He was about to reveal the Father's business, the God's business of, for the people of Israel. And he doesn't just call you once either. It's not just that time when you come to an altar or at your, at your bedside when you give your, your life to Christ. You say, I, you know, I've sinned and I, I've fallen short, but I received your forgiveness that came through the cross. And, and then that's the one time that he chose you and it's over. No, he keeps choosing you to be a part of things that he's doing. He keeps choosing you to be a part of his great plan, his great story. And so what's so significant about God? He's compassionate. He's personal. And he's holy. He's really holy. In verse 5, after Moses says, here I am, really important moment. God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid, afraid to look at God. Why? Because God, was whole, God is holy. He knew that this was holy ground. I mean, there's different cultures and different, different uh, scenarios where people will go into a house and they'll take off their shoes and they'll walk in. We had a plumber come into our house last week and he just walked in with his boots and was like, oh, I guess it's a safety hazard. <laughs> but he like walked into our house and he like tromped with his big, you know, but the sign of respect in so many cultures, right? Take off your shoes, you're coming into someone's home. Unless you're in America, then it's different. Like, it's different. But. but there's also this idea of royalty. When you're in front of royalty in, in these kingdoms and the king, these kings, you, you would take off those outer garments that would be filthy and dirty, and you would, you would know that this is holy, sacred ground. When I think about the holiness of God, and we're, we're going to unpack a little bit about the God of Father, uh, the, the Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that big I am statement. We're going to go there next week a little bit more. But this idea of holiness is where I just want to land as we wrap up today, is the holiness of God is significant. It's not just a spiritualism where we just get to feel good, get in the right vibe. It's an actual, all-knowing, all-present God who created the cosmos and created our world. And, and this, is, this is the holy, perfect God that we serve. Man, isn't it good to know there's someone who's bigger than us in this world? And if you want some, a really amazing epic kind of image. Fast forward in your Bible to Revelations, chapter 4. 
And there's this moment where John is given this vision and he's taken into, into the heavens and he's, it says each of the four living creatures, these angelic beings, had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. It's kind of this freaky imagery. <laughs> Day and night, though, these creatures were saying this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. If you're in a bad season in your life or an in-between transition season, I encourage you to say that over your life. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is and is to come. That reminds us of the holiness of who God is, the grandeur of who he is. And the scripture goes on to say this, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, Jesus, the risen lamb, and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. Can I just encourage you with this thought? We're in a significant season, aren't we? Significant seasons require a significant amount of taking off of sandals and laying down of crowns. Think about that for a moment. A significant season requires a significant amount of taking off our sandals and, and laying down our crowns. Maybe the sandals are the self-sufficiency. This is the, the shoes that I walk in. This is the way I do it. This is, shows the work that I've done by the soil that's on the bottom of these shoes, by the worn leather. This is the, my self-sufficiency. There's this taking off when we're in holy ground, uh, this this outward self-sufficiency that we are all capable of. But there's also this need to do, like we see in this imagery in Revelations, of this taking off of the crowns. The crowns are, are those accolades, the accomplishment, laying those at his feet. If you're in a season of transition right now in your life, for whatever reason, start it off on the right foot, no pun intended, Take off the sandals, those things that are, that, lay them at his feet. You're the one who's holy. You're the God who's sovereign. You're the one who made this decision, God, not us. And we lay those down on his feet in holy ground. But we also take off all the, the accolades, all the accomplishments, all the entitlement that we felt over our years of experience or whatever that looks like for you. And we say, he is holy. May I encourage you when that happens? When that happens, God, God starts to do something even more significant. But whatever He's going to do, it always starts with Him. I'm going to call the worship team up at this time. Pastor Bobby and the team. The question we have for us today is what's so significant about God? I mean, I've only named three things. I would encourage you this week to write down about 10 more. 
If you want a little refresher, you could watch the online, and, and the staff actually talk about a few things regarding the significance of God and the community, the church, and the people. But this week, focus your attention on what's so significant about God. And then the follow-up question would be this, and if he's so significant, hear me out. If he's so significant, how will we respond to him? How do we respond to him? When God asks something new of us, when he places us in the new season with our bare feet dangling, will we screw up our faces at the thought of something new? Curl up inside? Choose not to respond? Or will we embrace this new season with both feet? All in. Because just like the grass he made this season, <laughs> it's good. It's just something new. And why can we do that with faith and hope and trust? Because of who God is.